Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, where adventure begins. Check out their website at gamersinlehigh.com. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. All right, welcome to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Yes, that's right. We are here. We're live, and I think everyone's microphone is on. If it's not, Mike um, yes. Yeah. So uh, as always, I mean, Revan's here. Uh, that that's a really good question. You're going to be on the show now. Yes, I am. But do you want to go by your actual name, or do you want to go by a, Sir Savart? A, a, a new I like name, Sir Savart. Sir Savart. Yeah, that's Basically what I go by is. for. Okay. Everywhere. That is yeah, really so tough. Much. It's almost like, sir, I'm going to... Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people say that. Yeah, well. sir, Savart. All right. Uh, we got Tyrannus. tag and everything. All right, so. well, and that's where my name came from, was my game tag, and then they rolled out Knights of the Old Republic, and then my name became awesome. Yeah. 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 Savart wasn't in the Old Republic. I swear, no. He was a Sith Lord, wasn't he? Dark Lord Savart? Yeah. No. Way. No, no, no. He should be. You mean, you're, you're probably thinking of Lord Farquhar. <laughs> From Shrek. So, uh, all right. You're a Shrek. Yes. Uh, I don't even know why I brought that up because I don't like Shrek. Uh, Tyrannus is to the left, and we've got Scott sitting in because, well, let's face it, he wants to talk to, you know, R.A. Salvatore, which, that's right. We got, we've got a really cool show tonight. We've got uh, Barrett Steinmetz. Coming on, talking about his new book, uh, Flex. And then we will round out the show with author R.A. Salvatore talking about Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. I've been reading this book, and oh my gosh. I, I, I love his books. They're, they're lots of fun. I mean, I'll put that out there. It, you've re- I'm assuming you've read the Dritz series. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, you have to talk closer. or move. You can move the mic towards you. That's the nice thing about that arm. Um <laughs> The thing I love about these books is they're a quick, fun read, and you immediately are like invested, yes. which is super fun. There's some books where you're not so invested so quickly, and then you gotta you gotta work for the fun. Uh, then there's others where it's just like, wow, this is a giant paperweight, and it's taking me three months to read through this book, <laughs> when normally it takes me a week, week and a half. Um, but his books are always great. So, and that book's out now. Uh, Flex is out as well, so we will be talking to these wonderful authors here shortly. And uh, wow, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, we'll try to hit on some geek news, uh, but before we jump into anything, I just want to give a moment of silence for you know Commander Spock. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Leonard yes. Nimoy passing away this last week, uh, which is a loss 
to all of us, I Hardcore. would have to say. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give that, we're going to turn down the volume right now just for a moment. Give a brief moment of silence for Leonard Nimoy and his family, and then we'll be right back. And we're back. Like I said, a brief moment of silence. Well, they could pause it if they wanted to go along. Well, see, the best thing is, is, you know, yeah, you could. You could just pause it, you know, if you're listening to the archive, and then we can extend that moment of silence for however you want. You know, you could go clean your entire front room and then come back. Uh, no, I definitely a, a great loss. Uh, I don't know. Kind of surprising, too. I mean, I know it was. he was in the hospital, but... It definitely still. was kind of a shock and a surprise, but, I mean... Salt Lake Comic Con Fan X, we saw uh, O'Hur- the lady that played O'Hara, um, Michelle Nichols. Yeah. She, you could tell that lady was very old. Um, not, she, wonderful, wonderful lady. She came up to the podium and you know said her thing three times because she forgot that she had already done that. I, I'm assuming <laughs> because she said the same exact thing. Um, and then you know, then she had to leave. But it, and of course, she referred to everyone as trekkers, not trekkies, trekkers. Trekkers. So uh, I guess the terminology has changed. But I don't know. So it, uh, the question is: is if you know you're a trekker or trekkie, whatever it is, what are you if you're a Star Wars fan? Because you know, are you a worry? Uh, you know, a Star uh, a warian. A warian. <laughs> Close to Mandalorian, <laughs> warian, Star Warian. There we go. A warrior. I, I like that one. Yeah. Maybe we'll start something there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Either know. Either that or your Seth Lord. Yeah. Speaking of crazy. Oh yeah, and then uh, you're <laughs> that poor guy has had so many problems. I mean, first he gets injured. He, in the movie. <laughs> he gets yeah. injured in the middle of filming, and then you know they have to wait, and then he gets in a Harrison Ford gets in a plane crash. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's he's okay, but. I really don't think he wants to be Han Solo. Well, it wasn't a Millennium Falcon. No, uh, obviously, because otherwise he wouldn't have crashed because the Falcon is awesome. The controls are different. They are, they're completely different. One, he's got a furry Wookiee that yeah, would say, wait difference. a minute, pull up! <laughs> yeah, all right. Anyways, it looks like uh, we got our first interview on the line. We'll, we'll jump in. Um, you guys can jump in with questions that you have. I've got some questions we'll follow through, but that doesn't mean we have to go through all those. So. All right. All righty. Welcome to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Is this Barrett? This is Barrett. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show tonight. And I have to say, what an interesting name. I kept, you know, after, you know, arranging to have you on the show, I kept looking at him like, is this right? Uh, yeah, either he has, actually. his parents are either really off the wall for naming him Ferret, or he chose this name, or it's really awesome because his name's Ferret. No, my mother. My mother actually gets very distressed when people think that this is what she named me. Um, oh, okay. But the truth yeah. is, it's just an online nickname I had for many, many years that uh, that kind of stuck. Because frankly, my given name is Bill, and there's 15 billion Bills out there. And Sarah was the one that uh, when I met my wife online, uh, I actually met her in a Star Wars chat room. That's what she grew to know me by. So I just sort of mutated into that identity. Well, um, props for being in a Star Wars chat line. Props for meeting your wife mm-hmm. there and. Uh, you know, honestly, if I had to choose from Bill or Ferret, I'd go with Ferret. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, well, again, thanks for being on the show. Uh, Flex, it's out on the shelves right now, correct? Yes, yes it is. Okay. And it's my debut it's, novel. I'm totally excited. Every, I'm just totally over the moon about this because it's awesome. 
too. Nice. And so debut novel, it's urban fantasy, and yeah, I've kind of I've got to get a taste of it and you know and go over it and it's really interesting because you've kind of come up with this concept where magic is illegal, which yeah, you know, yeah. props on you for doing that because most places like okay magic we just want to go all out magic and you're like nope it's illegal and we're gonna hunt you down so uh can you tell us a little bit about flex then yeah I, you know um actually one of the funny things about it is if you look at it uh, in the book there's one point where one of the slogans for the cops is you know physics it's not just a good idea it's the law you know um because magic if you were to think about what magic would do in real life it would actually be kind of terrible in a lot of ways um and when I was creating uh, the magic system for this book, uh, I just sort of thought what would happen is if you, people who got really obsessed with things actually started to generate magic around that whole concept. And so in the world of Flex, basically magic is created by obsession, and whatever you happen to get obsessed around is what you wind up sparking magic about. So, for example, if you're a crazy cat lady, at some point you can fall through the event horizon and start doing crazy cat lady magic. But the problem with that is, by the time you're obsessed enough to start doing crazy cat lady magic, you are only really obsessed with your cats, and you start doing very weird things just because of that. So, I mean, basically, everybody who has their uh, magic, there's all sorts of different kinds of magic in there. There's a person who's a video game mancer. She's obsessed with video games and does all sorts of video game magic. Uh, the lead character is a bureaucromancer. He thinks paperwork is the most awesome thing in the world, and he actually can do incredible magic as a result of that. Uh, there's death metal mancers. I mean, basically, any hobby you can imagine, pretty much somebody's probably become some sort of magician out of it. Um, it's just wow. not entirely a good thing. So, yeah. I, I can just imagine the cat lady running around has a spell that turns little children into cats. <laughs> that's that's her spell. Now I have another one. Oh. <laughs> Uh, let alone she's got to have a smell, to, uh, a spell to remove the smell, you know, and 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 litter. It's just like litter be gone. Boop. She doesn't care litter where be it gone, goes. You know, and basically you wind up with these other dimensionally cat worlds, you know, where there's all these kittens running around, and you know, at some point you actually just become so obsessed, you just sort of start generating cats out of midair. Um, but there's actually a backlash to this, which is why people hate magic. Um, okay. They don't hate magic because it does cool stuff. The thing is that the universe actually hates magic. Uh, it's come up with all these carefully crafted laws of physics, hates the fact that you've done it. So whenever you do magic, there is a backlash called the flux, um, and it crashes down upon you and basically rains Final Destination-style hideous coincidences on your head until everything's pretty much balanced out. So in okay. this world, so mancers tend not to last terribly long because if they don't get captured by the cops, which they do a lot because they have a lot of bad luck, then horrible things tend to happen to them as a result of the refuse of their magic. Very nice. That was my next question. Is So what is the consequences of using magic? You just answered that. Uh, mm-hmm. So what, is, what would be the consequence of Cat Lady, you know, turning children into cats? That would be an interesting one. Huh. It would be, it would be a lot of, I mean, basically the, the, the sort of the way it works is, you know, the closer something fused to your special effect, um, you know, the less it does because, you you know, the universe tends to agree with you a little bit more. So if you're doing something to protect your cats, then that's something where you'll get a little bit bad luck, but it's not really horrific. Doing something really crazy that involves a whole lot of physics bending 
like changing a human being into a cat, which I don't know whether a cat lady would actually want to do that, that would probably give you almost fatal levels of bad luck. And in fact, wow. part of being a master in this world is learning to control your bad luck and learning how to burn it off. And that is, in fact, the challenge of the lead character because he's a bureaucromancer. He's great with paperwork, but he's new to his magic. He's trying to use it to save his kid. But the problem is the magic targets you and all of the... Uh, the backlash targets you and all the things that you love the most. It's not just generic bad luck. Like, the things you love the most tend to die around you. Um, So in trying to use the magic to save his daughter, he actually winds up hurting her more and has to really learn how to control his magic because it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to have. I need to read the rest of this book. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I... Wow. I mean, I, I... I haven't been able to read all of it. I've gotten... I'm probably about halfway through... And it's very compelling, and I've enjoyed it. But now I'm hooked even more. Just I love the fact that there is a consequence to magic. That's one thing that you know in in fantasy novels, you got the wizards just throwing fireballs left and right and magic, and that's cool. Let's let's face it, that is cool. You know, it's really cool when you're watching The Hobbit and you're seeing, you know, Gandalf do his none shall pass, and the, you see the big light thing go. But to see a consequence come back at him for that, or that would be that would be awesome. So that's nice. So what kind of inspired you to create this unique world? I mean, it, we're kind of urban fantasy, but this world of the Mansers and the universe, you know, kind of attacking back to balance things. Well, it's it's kind of twofold, which is you know I wanted to to do magic, and I I dislike uh, worlds where magic, like you said, has no consequence because then the first thing I start asking is, well, then why aren't these guys like ruling the planet? Like, I love Harry Potter, don't get me wrong, but there's no reason the wizards aren't like in charge of everything because they're literally better at everything human beings can do. Um, And, you know, maybe you can restrict it by genetics or something like that, but I wanted to have a magic system where you could become a mancer, but it would take a lot of trouble and you would have, it would almost be just as much trouble to like just do things the normal way. Um, except, of course, all these people are obsessed about their hobbies, so in a lot of cases they don't even intend to do magic. They're just sort of doing it by mistake. Um, and the other way, I, I think you'll be um, shocked to discover this, but uh, I don't know if you guys role-play at all. Shocking. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm joking. We have a geek <laughs> show. Would we game? Hmm. No, yeah. no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> dungeon crawlers. Yeah. Yeah. Dungeon crawlers. Yeah. <laughs> dungeon crawlers. Don't know. Um, yeah. But the funny thing is, I, I handed it to, uh, I handed this book to Shauna McGuire, um, who does the Deadline books and a lot of other urban fantasy books to Blurb, and she immediately called me up because she had my number and she goes, "Okay, how much mage were you playing before you came up with the idea for this thing?" I'm like, "Yeah, actually, that's directly where it came from." <laughs> It stemmed directly from a mage game where uh, I tend to be very creative, and we had a a group of sort of low-level mages from the whole vampire uh, universe. And uh, basically, at at one point, our characters were like, God, we don't have any money. Maybe we should brew drugs. I'm like, screw that. If I'm going to brew drugs here, I'm going to brew magical drugs. And I'm like, wait a minute. How would you brew magical drugs? So my mind started churning. And then one of the other major inspirations for this is it's a slightly more obscure game but I don't know if you guys have played Unknown Armies uh, by John Scott Tynes and, and Gregory Solsey, but um, that is a really one of the best RPGs ever created, and that involves a lot of crazy magic, a lot of it inspired by obsession. So there's a lot of uh, role-playing roots directly invested in this novel. 
which is so not cool to admit, but I'll do it here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair enough. All right. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not putting down role playing games, but generally, if you go to a publisher and you're like, "Hey, um, I have this book and it's based on my role playing adventures," they just go, you can see their eyes go dead. <laughs> oh no, I, I, I'm completely sure that that is the case because it's like, Everybody. seriously, I. And, and yeah. don't get me wrong, there's a lot of amazing ideas that spark from role-playing, and you could easily turn a role-playing adventure into a book. I mean, let's face it, Tracy Hickman has done that, because um, that's pretty much where Dragonlance came from, um, and that was a success. But I know a lot of conventional publishers just kind of, they see role-playing and things like that as a game and not really valid writing, I guess. So... Yeah, you, you, yeah I mean, well, I mean, the problem is you you have people who have role-playing games, and there's one of two th- bad things that happen when people try to turn role-playing games into books, which is the first thing is they either concentrate on the environment too much. Um, like, we're talking about a lot about the magic system because, you know, it's a nerdy thing and people like discussing magic. But if that's all this book had, then it never would have been published. You have to have characters that are going to pull you through it. Yeah. And it's got a lot of magic in it, but the truth is, You've got a father whose kid's been horribly burned in an accident, and he's sitting here going, oh, my God, how do I help her uh, without hurting her more? And that's really the crux of the thing. Or the other thing is you have somebody who basically just takes a role-playing adventure, goes, you know, let's, you know, write that down, and that'll be my book. And while I love role-playing, too many role-playing adventures are kind of like, you know, the murder hobos where they just go from place to place murdering people. Um <laughs> You know, which is not really a story. I mean, it's a bunch of combats, and it's fun if you're in it, but it's, you know, I mean, I think we've all had that guy at the table across from us. It's like, oh, yes, yes, your your role-playing campaign is very fascinating. Uh, can I make my excuses and get out of here? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, I'll throw this out. We, we, we game last night, and we're playing a new game. We're in an Egyptian setting. I'm a rogue. Uh, I've under, you know, subvertly, because, you know, we're doing... Fifth edition D and D, so I'm a charlatan. So I have a secret identity that I'm this advisor for this uh, high up guy in, in the Egyptian Empire, and I have these two guards, and we're we're literally trying to barter with this lady to chain to exchange linen for incense, and the one guy goes, "Screw this," and shoots Elder, you know, a blast of Elder's blast at her, and pretty much knocks her unconscious. And I'm just looking at him like, really? Seriously? It wasn't exciting enough. Yeah. I'm like, all right. He's like, I'm just going to take the incense. I'm tired of her. And then we walk <laughs> off. It's like, okay. I just rolled a 26 on my persuasion check. We would have walked out with him, but instead you want to hit her. All right. Whatever. Yeah. That And that doesn't sound cool when in a story format either. Oh, wow. No. No, I mean, and it's kind of entertaining to talk, talk about it, you know, and it's certainly entertaining to, yeah. you know, have that moment of looking at your friend and go, "What the hell did you just do?" Yeah, uh, exactly. A lot of what happens, a lot of what happens in role-playing games is for you, your amusement, not the amuse, not stemming from the character's actions. It's just you're bored and you want something to happen in the game. Yeah. And I fully cop to that because I, you know, I'm the one who gets bored the easiest. So I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'll go do this," and my DMs all hate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, there, there definitely is a fine line there. Um, so. Kind of moving back towards the the book, uh, mm-hmm. tell us about some of the the characters in the book. What is different and unique about them, and do you have a favorite? 
I know that's kind of three uh, questions think, all bundled into one. No, no, I'm a pro. I can handle you know four or five questions at once. Uh, all right. So the lead character of the book is a guy named Paul Sabo. Um, he is he's the bureaucromancer I was talking about. Um, and basically, I love him because he's uh, he actually got his powers working in a really crappy insurance company. Because <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had the insurance companies just reject your claims because you didn't fill out the right form. I, I used to work for an insurance company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I can understand. Yes. Yeah. And basically, rather than quitting, he stayed up late at like the shoemaker's elves and basically said, screw this. I'm going to like fill out all the forms correctly for these guys and, you know, just screw the insurance company by, uh, you know, by filling out the forms correctly for these people. So he got so obsessed with just trying to like, you know, basically undo the maliciousness of this really cold and, and sort of profit-centered insurance company that he was that he became a bureaucromancer, and now to him, like, paperwork is power. He looks at it and goes, you know, it was paperwork that brought down President Nixon. It's paperwork that he makes sure you get banks honest. And for him, paperwork is basically a, a function of justice. He thinks it's what society runs on. Um, so he's a really good guy, but unfortunately, uh, as you can tell from the description, he's also a little naive. So when he has to, like, start getting into illegal activities, because all magic is illegal, remember, to try to protect his daughter, it doesn't go so well. The person he winds up teaming up with uh, is, in fact, my favorite character in the book, um, and her name is Valentine. And she is the video game master that we were talking about. And whereas Paul is very uh, conservative and, and doesn't like taking chances, Valentine is just used to putting the game in and seeing what the hell happens. Um, she's overweight. She's very attractive. It's really important to me to have sort of a you know, an overweight, attractive girl in here because uh, overweight women just aren't represented particularly well in books. Um, she's snarky. She's kinky. She's ridiculously proud of herself, and she gets all the best one-liners because she does not give a crap about what you think about her. And her teaming up with Paul is just, um, it's a lot of friction at first, but eventually they figure out how to start working together as a team uh, in order to help save his daughter, and that is a large portion of the narrative trust of the book. Hmm. All right. Yeah. And if you want to get into the third character, then there is his daughter. His daughter is six years old. She's been burned horrifically in a fire to the point yeah. where she needs reconstructive surgery. Um, and basically she has been taught that all magic users are completely bad. And why wouldn't she think that? Because one of them just burned the crap out of her in an accident. Yeah. Um, and so a large portion of the book is actually Paul trying to figure out, like, A, can I do my magic without hurting my daughter more from this backlash? B, can I stop doing magic? Because it's not like he set out to become a bureaucromancer. It just sort of happened when he started focusing in on it. And it would yeah. be like trying to turn off a portion of your brain that automatically happens. And can he actually reveal this to his daughter without his daughter flipping out and turning him into the cops? So there's a lot wow. of tensions going on in this book. So. Yes. Well, why an insurance guy? I mean, that that that's like definitely... <laughs> Not your typical hero. I mean, and, and you know, awesome. I mean, yeah. it's it kind of. It reminds me a little of uh, uh, Incredibles. I mean, he what he kind of that was mm -hmm. his job. He had to do after he was the superhero, uh, not the other way around. But why yeah. an insurance guy? Well, part of it is you know going back to that role playing thing, and you know I'm the pain in the ass. Like I'm the very flamboyant character when I game. And, okay. like, you know, for example, we're talking about the Mage campaign in which I'm in. 
uh, you know, where I got the inspiration for this. And yeah. my character in that is uh, an Amish kid who uh, grew up on a farm and has learned to hunt vampires with a magical pitchfork. So, you know, pretty much any time I come up with a character, like in a game, the GM is like, what the hell are you doing? Can we actually make this work in the game? I'm like, come on, it's cool. So when I, I came up with, um, you know, the idea for a book, I really wanted to have a character who I hadn't seen leading up uh, a lot of uh, books before. And he sort of evolved as, you know, I wrote the book because I wrote it in several drafts. And the more I went into it, the more I'm like, you know, it, there's obviously a lot of breaking bad inspiration in it. But we've done the whole, you know, Walter White is, you know, a frustrated chemistry teacher uh, with a lot of evil intentions. What if we have a frustrated paperwork pusher who has a lot of intentions, who wants to do good, but he's been too meek to actually do any of this? So a lot of this is actually a guy who has a lot of very strong feelings about things, learning to use his powers for good and change in the world, um, which sounds really pretentious now that I found it. But you know what I'm saying? I'm standing by that. <laughs> hey, it works. Makes the book mm-hmm. awesome. Who cares? Stand by yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, so, the other um, thing that I should add that's interesting about him is that uh, he's also he's also an amputee because he lost his right foot in a magical battle years ago, back before he had any powers, um, which is one of the reasons that he, he's sort of gone into a depression and he used paperwork to pull himself out of that funk. So a lot of people are responding to that because you don't see a lot of amputees leading up, uh, leading up books either. Yeah, and which even reinforces more why he needs the, the desk job. So. Yes, and why he needs is, a really super violent video game answer to have his back, because i got to tell you, if you want to have somebody by your side in a gunfight, it's not the guy who's good with paperwork. No, no. I was going to ask, how how does a viewer cat fight in a battle? With paper cuts. <laughs> <laughs> paper cuts and staples. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but, you know I, he, he, can, he can do any number of things. You know, basically, Valentine, who's a video game mentor, has a lot of uh, really violent video You know, because she can just go Grand Theft Auto on people and cause massive damage. <laughs> um, she's a big fan of Metal Gear Solid, so there's a lot of uh, sneaky oh. takedowns in the book. Uh, you know, basically any sort of violent thing you can do. That. Paul is much subtler about it, and I don't want to give spoilers because a lot of the book is discovering, you know, like what can a, a bureaucrancer do. Um, but, you know, like just for example, yeah, he can't actually hurt you, but he can say, oh, you know what, uh, magically I just dropped this warrant on the desk of a SWAT team you know, three hours back. They're crashing through your door now. He can conjure up apartments out of nowhere. You know, basically, he's got a real subtle he's got a real subtle power, and it's really powerful. It's just not particularly quick. There's an all points bulletin warrant out for your arrest in 29 counties and seven states. You're right. on the and FBI's most wanted list. <laughs> right, and magically, your 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 picture has just shown up on the wall of every post office bureaucracy in the world. You know, basically, yeah, he can do stuff like that. You know, he has to deal with the flux from it, but yeah, he can get you in serious trouble with just his, you know, hitting the right forms. You know, that is God awesome. You just like things like credit cards. Oh wow! Huh. I just have a new credit card in so and so's name. That just puts a whole new meaning to identity theft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at one point he just basically like he just conjures up an apartment out of nowhere. He's you know he's kind of like geeked out because these are new powers, and at one point he's driving over and goes. I don't even know where this apartment is. I just put the, you know, I just put the address into my GPS. I had some magical paperwork signed, and it's a really good apartment, and I'm going to see what it looks like. 
And sure enough, he's got a rent-controlled apartment in a very, very nice place. My my brain is is <laughs> spinning on how I could use this power of my own. Wow. Well, that's the point of this book, really. I mean, it, it's not something I intended to do, but the minute, um, basically, I said the magic powers revolve around obsession, one of two things that always happens is, well, what would I be if I was a mancer of some sort? And everybody starts mapping their own obsession, and then everybody starts wondering what kind of spells they would be able to cast or how they would be able to abuse their magic properly because it has to be according to your special effect. Like, uh, again, there's a scene in the book where Valentine is trapped in a prison and she whips out a portal gun. And Paul's like, (laughs) okay, just use the gun from portal and get out of here. And she's like looking over there and she goes, are you crazy? That's a black wall. You can only set portals on white walls. Do you know that? (laughs) She takes like an hour to scrub the wall properly because, you know, yeah, it's got to make sense to your own internal obsessions. You can't just make stuff out of nowhere. But huh. Paul, yeah, he's he's very concerned with righteousness. So technically, there's nothing stopping him from like you know just funneling a million dollars into his bank. But because he's very wrapped around the axle about justice and paperwork being for fairness, he'd be like, "But that would be wrong. You can't do that." Yeah. So magicians are almost held back by their own psychological um, flaws as much as you know any sort of uh, blowback in the universe. Interesting. Yeah. My obsession with geekdom. I wonder how that would manifest. <laughs> huh. All right. Well, very interesting. So what is your writing process? I, how, how do you sit down and write? I mean, is, do, you, uh, do you plot? Do you outline? Uh, do you write in linear succession? Or do you just kind of bounce around? Uh, I'm what's known as a gardener writer, which is to say I start with an interesting sentence and I see where it goes. Okay. Um. And usually I'm pretty good. Neil Gaiman once likened the process to um, leaping out of a plane with a big ball of yarn and just hoping you're going to be able to knit yourself at a parachute sometime between then and the time you hit the ground, Um, (laughs) which is pretty much how I work it. Um, And this this novel was actually a really tough one because, um, you know, the thing is I wrote and I got about, I would say about 40 or 50,000 words, which is about halfway through. and then I, I wrote another 20,000 words, and I realized at the end of those 20,000 words that I'd written the wrong villain, which is there is somebody hmm. whose Paul is fighting throughout this entire thing. There's, there's another mage who he is actually battling throughout this entire thing. And I realized that the, uh, the person I had just sort of stumbled into was not actually challenging Paul's um, worldview at all. He was just somebody who was good to punch. And I'm like, no, i got to come up with somebody who's Paul's polar opposite. So I had to, like, literally take about two months of work, rip it up, throw it in the garbage, drink a gallon of vodka and weep vodka tears for, like, a week, and then go back and try to figure out how to fix it. But eventually I did. But, yeah, my process involves a lot of uh, writing a lot of the wrong words and then drinking heavily and denying that I have a problem. So it's kind of awesome. Okay. That is mm-hmm. a very unique and different uh, writing process than I've ever heard. But hey, if it works for you, and obviously it does yeah. because this book is is awesome, then uh, whatever works. I mean, honestly, I, I wouldn't change it. So, I mean, do you use any type of music in the background to inspire you when you're you're writing, or is that still is that a nada? No, I I, I kind of feel jealous when I have I want to hear about other writers who can do that. Um, okay. I'm kind, I'm kind of annoying in, in that I need absolute silence when I write, which even irritates me because sometimes I get bored when I'm writing. But uh, I'm a former musician and drummer, 
So if you put music on in the background, my mind just gravitates towards that, and I'd be like, how do I play that? Um, yeah. And then I can't write. So it's I, kind I, of irritating because I, I hear, I hear all my friends are like, oh, have you put on the Pacific Rim soundtrack when you're writing? It makes you feel like a god. And I'm sitting here like in back, like I, I can't play anything. No, I, I understand. I, I completely understand. You know, I have, I have the day job, and I can't play music either because I start picking apart the beats and like figuring out what else I put in there. The Pacific Rim soundtrack is awesome, especially the main theme song, but it's like, uh, it kicks on, and it's like, oh, you know, and I start thinking of giant rods beating up monsters and how that coordinates, mm-hmm. and it's like, yes, I understand completely. Um, and I will, okay, I will so. just believe it. it is embarrassing how many times I've, I've watched Pacific Rim because I am addicted to that movie. <laughs> oh, it's a great movie. I really hope they make a sequel. Because who doesn't love giant robots beating up monsters? Well, the good news is they and officially I, are, so that's that's awesome. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I I, I will admit this. I will admit this on air. Giggled like a little schoolboy when I saw she pushed the button and the sword flops out. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was just that was uh, tickled my funny bone right then and there. It's like eh. yeah. So uh, what I, I mean, love that, about that movie is the dumbest movie in the world. Because oh yeah. Like, You've had this knockdown drag out fight through Tokyo, and then you're like, oh, yeah, what about the sword? And it's like, really? You didn't think about the sword? But it's still awesome. Like, yeah. I, I cannot yeah. I, I cannot imagine, express my love of Pacific Rim so much because my brain, part of my brain, just finds so much dumbness there. It turns off, and suddenly I'm an eight year old kid again. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, it, that's exactly right. And then if you try to figure out the whole physics of a giant robot moving, and yeah, it's just like, and then only what? Have four, five, six helicopters that fly it out? Yeah. Why don't they just build a rocket pack in its back? Uh, yeah. But, well, actually, somebody on Reddit, of course on yeah. Reddit, figured out exactly how many helicopters they would have to have to fly the robot. Because he's like, yeah, he it was a lot. so he figured out the weight load. It turns out it's something like 500 helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, they're, they're super helicopters. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is future. Yeah, well, I mean, that you, you brought up a good point there, Scott, where it's like they developed the rocket punch, but they can't put rockets in its back to fly out into the bay. Yeah. Um, but it was still Oh, awesome. you're right. I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, I mean, that's a movie that just says, go ahead, poke holes in my fly. I don't care. Just <laughs> Yeah, just just have fun. You know, it, you're right. It's cool, you know, especially when he picks up the, the big tanker ship and uses it a baseball bat. And, yeah, it, it's awesome. Before the sword. Yeah. Before the sword, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a sword. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. We have a sword. Let's use that now when we're in space. Well, I mean, wait I a minute. What is... Now that I'm thinking about it, he's, he's kind of like, you know, yeah, yeah I'm sure the ship costs like $350 million to buy. I'm just going to screw it up and not use my sword. <laughs> yeah. That little Japanese These are girl very irrational not... people. Yeah, they are. All right, cool. So now that Flex is out, You've got all the the excitement for it out there. You see it on the shelf, which I'm sure is just awesome when you've gone to the bookstore and you've seen it or you've even seen it online. That has to be an amazing feeling. The nice thing is that people are sending me photos of it in the wild. Um, I haven't actually gotten out to the bookstore yet to go look at it because I would probably just okay. react very embarrassingly in the bookstore and I don't want to have to explain that to the people at Barnes & Noble. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I know I'm going to be the door, but that's my book! You know, yeah, I don't want to yeah. do that. Um, you're on, you're on your knees weeping. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's yeah. awesome that people are doing that. I'm not worthy. Yeah. I'm not worthy. 
<laughs> so, yeah, because so the first the... sale I got, you know, somebody sent me a picture from Australia. Wow. And I'm like, and I'm like, really? My book's in Australia? And I'm like, that's <laughs> awesome. But I didn't really think about that. So, yeah, it's, it's out there and it's been getting pretty good reviews. So I'm, I'm actually kind of stoked with that. So, so, and so you know what are your... It wasn't, I would never, I would never bring that topic up. Yeah. So, I, I, what do you think about kind of the tag that they've kind of tagged it as? I'm going to repeat this: a desperate father will do anything to heal his daughter in a novel where Breaking Bad meets Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files. I mean, that, that's pretty big, right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was their marketing team. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a handy shorthand, but I, the one that I like better, um, and this is not to knock uh, Jim Butcher or anything like that. But yeah. I think it's more accurate to say that it's Breaking Bad by way of Scott Pilgrim. Okay. Because there's a I lot of because there's there's a lot of desperation. There's a lot of real seriousness in there. Like I said, it's about a guy trying to save his his burned kid and fight a, a terrorist magic user. You know, there's a lot of seriousness in this. But the magic is kind of psychotic and dreamlike. You know, I mean, when you've got somebody again channeling Metal Gear Solid, or you know, basically using Pokemon to try to rescue something, it's not quite as serious as Breaking Bad, but I take the magic very seriously. Like, there's weird stuff going on. Yeah. But it's from people who genuinely believe in what's happening. So, I mean, it's it's not a bad thing. And if it sells half as well as Jim Butcher, I'll be entirely happy. But I'm not sure about that comparison. Although I've had a lot of people from who really into Jim Butcher. It's like, yeah, I like this too. So, we'll see. Maybe the marketing department is smarter than I am. It's entirely possible. Lots of people are smarter than I am. I just had a scene t- totally pop into my head while you were talking about that, where she pretty much goes, Pikachu, I chew you, and you have a Pikachu running out electrocuting people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there, there, is, there, there is a scene in... I have the sequel, The Flux, coming out uh, in October. And uh, there is a scene in The Flux where one of the lines of dialogues is, did that person just throw a Pokeball at us? So yeah, very nice. Yeah, so there's 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 a lot of very uh, crazy stuff in here. I mean, you you kind of go with it or you don't. Nice. Okay, you know, but so my, I mean, my living love of, of video games really just sort of comes to the fore here. So there's a lot of fairly obscure video game references. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of magic references in there. I mean, basically, I'm just a big old nerd. So there's there's a lot of pop culture references stuffed in there. Very nice. So my next question was going to be, what's next? So obviously it's a sequel in October um, that you're mm-hmm. you're either working on or just finishing up. Yeah, I'm just finishing it up. I'll have it uh, into them in about uh, two weeks, and then the process of editing goes down. But yeah, it's, it's due out the first or second week in October. I can never remember which at this point. Nice. So okay. that's going to come out, and I've got another. I've got another couple of novels that I'm working on. They're making the rounds right now. We'll see if somebody bites. I hope. You know, okay. but um, well, but yeah, sounds good. Now, Flex is like I said in the beginning. It's, it's now, is it available only in you know, traditional hardcover book, or is it available in ebook and an audio book as well? It is available in uh, mass market paperback, and it's available pretty much anywhere. I know Books a Million carries it, um, Barnes and Noble carries it. I mean, it, it's by Angry Robot. They're a publisher who's pretty wide, so you can pretty much find them. Almost anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's on Amazon, of course, but everything's on Amazon. Um, it is available in ebook, um, and you are you are encouraged to buy it there. 
and it's not yet available in audiobooks. The way that audiobooks work is if a book hits a certain level of popularity, then it will become an audiobook. And since this is my first novel, they didn't just go with the audio rights right away. I, if, okay. if my dreams come through, I'd have an audiobook later in the year because I love audio productions. Uh, I cut my teeth uh, writing short stories over the past five years. And uh, one of the things I always did is there's probably like 15 of my stories are available to audio productions one way or the other. Um, so I love hearing stories read in general. Um, and so if I could get an audio book, that would be good. But no, I don't have one yet. Okay. No problem. Okay. I'm going to ask a really off-the-wall question that has nothing to do with your book or anything. If you could pick sure. any mythical creature to be your familiar, what would it be and why? Any mythical creature? Any mythical creature. What would it be and why? Mm, um, okay. I'm trying to remember his name. And it would be Bahamut, the king of the dragons in the traditional D&D system. Okay. Because he was always big. He was cool. I never liked the evil villains. I never liked the, uh, the evil monsters. But Bahamut was just pure white. He was like a, a you know a big Aslan of dragons. And it would be awesome to ride around on his back and just have him give me wisdom every once in a while. Sweet. Good answer. I like Good it. Answer. Yeah. And okay. plus he's a dragon, so when we go out to lunch, he can always pick up the check. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So with that said, um, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you have a website, social media. Where can they find you? Mm-hmm. I'm all over the Internet. Um, I have my own website at thetheret.com. Uh, I'll spell that because my name is really spelled weird. It's T-H-E-F-E-R-R-E-T-T, two R's, two T's, dot com. And I'm on Twitter as Ferret himself. F-E-R-R-E-T-T himself. And if you join me on Twitter, I tweet a lot. Just be warned. It's like a fire hose opening up. Yes. And if you're on our Twitter feed, you can uh, see uh, his at symbol. That will take you directly over to his page, and you'll be able to follow him that way. So, uh, you know, thank you for coming on the show tonight. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, please stay in touch. Uh, especially with that right. sequel coming out in October. We'd love to have you back on to talk about that. Uh, great book. Amazing. I, I love how you've taken kind of that traditional element of ma- being having magic in the world but making it illegal and part of people's obsession. That's just amazing and wonderful. And uh, it just tickles my funny bone. I mean, seriously. She runs around and she's you just pulls something out of a video game and there it is. So that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, once again, uh, Ferret Steinmetz, thanks for coming on the show. Check out his uh, new book, Flex, Run Out, Go Buy It. You know, Or, or stay at home and just jump on Amazon and buy it. Uh, either way works for him. Uh, it will make him happy. So uh, thanks again, and uh, we will catch you next time. Awesome. Okay, have Thank a great you. night. Bye. All right, everybody, that was uh, Ferret Steinmetz. Uh, this book is awesome. It, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds really cool, and uh, uh, re- it's been a fun read. I, I will admit that. It's really hard when you're getting ready for interviews because you're having to read all these books, and I can't read one at a time because I'm trying to read multiple, especially when you have like two interviews in one night. you oh, got to yeah. try to get up yeah. on both. Uh, fun, fun read. Uh, so coming out as a debut book, I would say one of the better ones I've, I've read. 
because um, you know a lot of times you get that book and it's like first time their first book and it's really like uh, am I gonna have fun with this book um, and there are some that are that way and others that really surprise you and this is one of those ones that really surprised me and was super fun so alright what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a moment uh, we're gonna play a quick song stretch our legs and then we'll do a little bit of geek news, and then we'll be bringing on uh, R.A. Salvatore to wrap up the show and talk about his new book, Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. Uh, so stay, stay tuned, stay with us, and we shall return. Hi, this is Tim Russ from Star Trek Voyager and iCarly, and you're listening to Dungeon Crawlers Radio.
young man, I know you got a lot to learn here. So many things for you to understand. How I'm a leader of this game and nation. Any man who stands against me gets the backhand. King of the con. I'm the king. All right, welcome back. Dungeon Crawlers Radio. That was uh, King of the Con by uh, Tasha Joan Hickman. And then, uh, of course, we uh, I Feel Fantastic. Jonathan Golden there. Uh, I which, do feel fantastic. Which is awesome. Feel, yeah. So, uh, once again, we just wrapped up our last our interview with uh, Ferret Steinmetz talking about his new book, Flex, which is out now. Uh, it's in an ebook format and a mass paperback. It is available pretty much anywhere. You can, I mean, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And so forth. So uh, let's talk about. So you've got some geek items. Who hasn't gone out and seen the uh, the Age of Ultron trailer, which is out there? Which the third one? I, I finally got to see it. Uh, you know, you, you sent it over to me. Yep. It is epic. I mean, the one thing that I love about this is James Spader casted as the voice oh. of Ultron. Because oh, yeah. if you have not watched Blacklist. You have no clue what I'm talking about. But he plays an amazing anti-hero, uh-huh. I guess is the perfect explanation for him, because he's kind of the bad guy, but really a hero at the same time. But his voice is just awesome. Perfect. And I didn't say, I, I didn't know if I'd like the Ultron story, because it's still kind of early, but I think it's going to work oh, really well. Oh, this is gonna be awesome. And, you know, I, I like where they're going. Uh, Marvel has definitely got a game plan. Uh, moving forward, and they just announced that uh, Wolverine Three is going to start shooting earlier this this year. Um, whether that's 
good or bad, who knows, but Hugh Jackman says he will play Wolverine until he's old and decrepit. Um, that will be interesting. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll, <laughs> yeah, he can't, but maybe Hugh Jackman has found the fountain of youth or maybe. the Lazarus pit so that he can stay at his present age. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens, uh, with Marvel because there is going to reach a point where these actors are not going to want to play these characters anymore. So that's going to be interesting on how they're, they're going to deal with yeah. that because, I know Robert Downey Jr. is kind of already saying he doesn't know if he wants to keep being Iron Man. And I don't blame him. And, of course, the solution to that is probably just more giant trucks full of money and he'll <laughs> keep doing it. But there is going to be a point where he's going to say, hey, I want to pursue other things. Now, isn't that also with uh, Robert saying something about going into Guardians? He's going to show up in the next Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I mean, he's there's the possibility of that. Up. I mean, there... You know, then we're we're going into civil war. There's going to be the Infinity Gauntlet stuff going on because that's what they're ultimately building up to. Yeah. And it's like, it's great that they're cross weaving and connecting everything. You know, but are we going to start losing actors? And how are we going? How do you deal with that? And then two, are we going to get burnt out? Beautiful thing about Marvel is, is it's a shattered universe, so you could change out the actor. And well, the and that one thing is, they could do a re, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet. They go up to that, something happens, and it starts everything over. I mean, we say in comics all the time. That's what happened with the New Fifty Two, the Ultimate line, and, and well, so on and so forth. Spider Man's gone from Spider Man to the Amazing. They could go to the Spectacular. They could. Well, yeah, but that's still the same story with. No, they're not, though. Well, I, I know it's, it is different, but it's still Peter Parker gets bit, bitten by a radioactive spider. Yeah. Uncle Ben dies. He becomes Spider-Man. But, yeah. yeah. So there's still that story. Um, and it's going to be interesting what they do with Spider-Man because they're talking about uh, changing his ethnicity, which... It worked the, in the comics. Well, it but they still have Spider-Man as Peter Parker in the comics. True. So I... And if they call him Peter Parker, I don't think it'll work. And But you can't have a different Spider-Man if you're doing the Civil War uh, line. So I, mean, I think that's going to be a problem because everyone identifies Peter Parker as a white, nerdy kid. But, you know, um, Nothing against uh, Miles Morales, but... I thought Marvel announced the new Peter Parker. The, the, it's been bouncing all over the place. Okay. So... Um, there is a couple options. And I really hope they stick with the traditional Peter Parker. I mean, I, I'm still kind of iffy on the new Johnny Storm. Uh, yeah, that's a little different. That it's different. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Changing Kingpin to Michael Clark Duncan in, in uh, Daredevil, that that didn't, no, that didn't do it all. You know, changing uh, Nick Fury over to Samuel L. Jackson, that worked really well. But making an iconic character like Peter Parker changing, I, I think that might be, I mean, that might be pushing it a little too much. Um, you know, that's like changing Steve Rogers, really. Uh, now, bringing in someone else to play Captain America, like I know it's been, uh, I think in the comics they're planning on doing the guy that, uh, I can't remember the Falcon's name, but he's going to be uh, he's going to be Captain America because something's going to happen and he's going to suddenly, uh, Steve Rogers is going to age rapidly. So he can't be, it's like the serum wears out or something like that. Um, so we'll, understandable. 
anyone can be Captain America. That's it's it's a name, it's a costume. In but, a serum. Yeah. But when you're you're saying Peter Parker or Steve Rogers, that changes the dynamic. So and again I don't know. Maybe there's we'll, just we'll another radioactive spider. It's another radioactive spider that bites someone else. So uh you know, and Harrison Ford crashing his plane into of course. Whoa, what is this? Uh, oh yeah, him. Okay. Yeah, it, he he can pull it. Up. I, yeah. Uh, so he, he's showing me the person. Uh, he was played Styles in Teen Wolf, the TV series, also in the internship. He could pull it off. Yeah, he definitely he could. He, you know, Styles. Him playing Styles, he's very smart mouthy. He's very witty. He's got a lot of energy in his movement. He can he can look like the white nerdy Peter Parker. And pull off Spider Man, in my opinion. Um, I can't remember that actor's name. Dalen O'Brien. Dalen O'Brien, yeah. Yep. Um, so if that is who they've casted and who they're going with, awesome. Yeah, I'm totally game for that. Because I. And someone else also mentioned something really cool, which I think they do, because he's coming into Civil War and then he's going to get his own movie, if I remember. What would be awesome, and even though we already know who it is, it would have been awesome if they would have kept the mask on, not told anyone until. The mask reel, where so, he pulls it off in Civil War. Because in Civil War, Peter Parker goes in front of all the public and pulls off his mask and says, I'm Peter Parker. You know, that could have been a cool idea and a cool marketing scheme in a way. You know, this, uh, you know we don't know who the actor is. We'll find out. so hard to hide. I know that would be really hard to hide. You know, in days past, without social media and oh, cell phones, easy. it was easy to hide that type of stuff. Nowadays, I mean, it. I mean, look what we've just seen with the Superman Batman movie. Yeah. I mean, people are crowding around waiting for a small picture and yeah. Flying drones over walls. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's not that difficult anymore. <laughs> Attach a GoPro to one of those little oh. hover things and zzz, 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 there you are. So um, all right, looks like we've got our next call coming in. Wonderful. Woo-hoo. Welcome to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Hello, guys. Hey, how uh, are you? Good. Things been treating you well? Uh, it's been since uh, a little after Gen Con we, we talked to you last. Yeah, 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 it's been crazy. Uh, did a big remodel on my house, tried to finish a book in the same time period. It was stressful, but I got through it. Just in so, time for winter to fall all over us and stay here. Yeah, so I... I is it, we're buried. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. The, the weather's been pretty rough there then. Uh, I've never seen anything like this. I've been here my whole life. Well, I, it's it's really weird because we're in Salt Lake, and I think maybe we've gotten a, a total of two inches of snow in one snowstorm, and we've we we only saw snow at Christmas, and then we saw snow like two days ago. Otherwise, yeah, I was just in Seattle, and it was sixty and sunny, and you could see the mountains, and there was hardly any snow on them. Yeah, I mean, I was hiking last month in February uh, in the hills back behind our house, and it was seventy degrees outside in February, which is you know, 50 degrees above normal and un, unheard of. And then, you know, yeah. you hear the news reports where you guys are just getting slammed. It's it's crazy. Well, the jet stream yep. broke this year, and instead of running east to west, it's running north to south. Wow. It's We're having pretty. the Boston snow party. The Boston snow party. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, to give you an idea how weird this is, you know, I, I've talked about the blizzard of 78, 
yeah. when I started writing fantasy because I was housebound. For the blizzard of 78, we got hit with about 25, 26 inches of snow out here in Lemonster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it shut down school for a week. The storm we had in January was 34 inches out here. And wow. then we got hit with three. And then we broke the record for February snowfall by February 12th. We've never had a winter before where we've had, in Boston, three storms of 15 inches of snow or more. They did it in 17 days, I think it wow. was. It, it, it's just unbelievable. There's so much, And it's still out there. I mean, it hasn't gone anywhere. It's just compacted, and now it's out as a rock. Yeah, and then you're getting most, more snow probably, which is piling on top of that. Wow. Yeah, it's huh. crazy. Well, we'll take your water. Where they I don't need know why I'm stuff. here. Yeah. What's that? We'll we, take the water where they need it. We'll come summertime. Uh, yeah. I think it's going to be a pipeline. You can have it. Get yeah. it, get it away <laughs> from my basement. <laughs> <laughs> get it away. So, yeah, new book's out, Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. Hey, you uh, haven't told anyone who's on the phone yet, by the way. I'm just saying. Oh, sorry. So, everyone, yeah. I think we, we, we mentioned it before, Ans, but... Uh, Ari Salvatore, Bob Salvatore, however he yeah. wants to be called tonight, uh, is on the show uh, talking about a new book, uh, Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. I apologize for forgetting to do that. I'm just, it's just so such a, a fun time talking to you. Uh, well, if we don't say it. Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf every five minutes, Sarah will hit me and Shelley will too. So, Vengeance okay, of the so Iron Dwarf. We'll, we'll make sure to say that every five minutes. Yes. Start the timer. Yes. Start the timer. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to jump kind of into the questions that I've got. Crystal Shard, you wrote 1988, so it's been about 27 years uh, that fans have been enjoying the Dritt stories. Uh, How does it feel to have created a a character that is kind of stood the test of time and is now kind of one of those iconic characters, along with like Conan and El Minister and, uh, you know, uh, Alaric of, of Melonbaum? I don't know. It's, <laughs> I, think, I, I think I said this in the Savuda interview I just did as well, and it's like it's surreal to me. When people are talking about him, I think they're talking about some other writer's character. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It really yeah. doesn't. Yeah, it's 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 hard to explain. I, I, um, I'm just on a journey, and I'm just writing it down, and I'm just having fun doing it. And, um, you know, I never expected this to go this way. Yeah, it's pretty cool that it did. Uh, but when people, you know, when people talk about Dritz, or I see posters that, you know, that have Dritz in them, or I, or I see obvious references to him, and even in some mainstream stuff, it just, um, it just doesn't even register to me that I created that. Um, I think it registers to me that I created it when I get the letters from DMs who hate me because all their players want to be dark elves or. <laughs> that's when you, that's when you that's when it hits you that it's yours when people insult you and say nasty things about you and that that's when that's when you realize it's yours but when people talk really nice about them I'm thinking it's more like Conan and boy if I could only meet the guy that created that that would be cool you know it it's a weird it's it's surreal yeah i never expected any of this yeah okay oh and so, vengeance of the iron dwarf i sorry yeah. Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. There we go. One more time. So, uh, so Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf does pick up right after the events of Rise of the King. Yeah. Uh, and we're gonna uh, 
So are we going to kind of continue to see that push and pull, the, that kind of underlying conflict between Mialiki and Loth throughout the rest of this book? Um, well, I, this, this really ties up the Companions Codex, and we're off okay. on a new adventure now. And um, it's, it's yeah, there's there's a, I, I think that, I don't think there's a real push and pull between Mialiki and Loth anymore, but I think there's a really angry Loth, and that's never a good thing. No, no, no. And it's only going to no. get worse. But, no. um, so, yeah, I, I, there's an interesting thing going on with, with Dritz. And I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, when, when Caddy Bree came back and said she had been with Mileki, essentially, or communing with Mileki, mm-hmm. she she said some things that really bothered him a lot, things that he just can't accept. Yeah. And he... Dritz always looked at the gods and the goddesses as names to put on that which was in his heart. But if he's got a name that he's supposedly, you know, in tune with, attuned with or a, or a chosen of or a disciple of or whatever you want to call it, um, and it doesn't go with what's in his heart, then that kind of freaks him out because that's not who he is. And uh, the truth is, um, you know, if I had to say anything, I would say Dritz is agnostic. He's certainly not an atheist, but he's certainly not devout either. I, I would say he's agnostic, and he just believes in ethics and the code that's in his heart. And having mm-hmm. found a goddess that he thought followed that code, and you know, for many years, um, that was comforting to him because it was kind of his way of knowing that he wasn't alone, that somebody had actually codified the things that he believed. But then to hear that rather jarring statement from Caddy Bree in such a definitive way, and of course he trusts that that's where she got it. Yeah. Um, or at least that she believes that's where she got it. Um, it really kind of jarred him. So that's something he's going to have to come to terms with. Okay. Yeah, I, I do remember that event in the last book. Um, the, I really like where the character is going because you know we've kind of seen the brash young dritz that would run headlong into into you know frost giant caves and who cares what the outcome was and now he seems because of the loss of his friends and what he's gone through there's a little bit more wisdom and age that have, has come to this character uh Hopefully which like is the guy right now you never know but the age part yeah. definitely the yeah it's kind of an interesting journey because for a while there, I always treated Dritz like someone who thought he had nothing to lose. And, well, first he was someone who, who just couldn't bear what was around him, so that was it. He was just going to go out, and if he got killed, he got killed. Then when he didn't get killed and he wound up on, on the surface, he, he pretty much believed he had nothing to lose because, you know, for him, life was going to be this grand adventure, um, kind of where one of his friends is right now. But yeah. life was going to be this grand adventure and whatever. You know, he, he's got nothing to lose, so he can just go out there and play it, you know, balls to the wall. But the trappings of love and friendship and, you know, there are trappings to that. When you start feeling like you have something to lose, you're not going to be quite as daring. Then, of course, he thinks he loses everything and he's trying to remake it and that doesn't work. And he's trying to follow the advice of an Ovendil, and that's not working for him. And 
then he finds in a really strange way that he gets a second chance. And now he doesn't want to make the same mistakes that he made the first time around. He's pretty much in the same predicament he was at one point with this whole orc thing in the Silver Marches in this series. But he's got to be handling it a little differently personally, just as they're handling it a little differently militarily. Yeah. So it, it's been interesting for me to go back and compare and contrast where the characters are at, what their motivations are, where the whole Silver Marches are at between this series and the uh, uh, Paths of Darkness, not Paths of Darkness, um, Hunter's Blades series. Yeah. So did you have to do a lot of research kind of going back to your the older books to kind of make sure everything kind of synced up for this? Next no, I have two screens on my computer, and one's always open to the Forgotten Realms wiki. <laughs> All right. Yeah, There's the yeah, answer. So I, well, I mean, it's true. You, you, if yeah. I'm going to Menzo Baranzan and I'm going to look up a drow house, and how did I spell her name again? I just go to the Forgotten Realms wiki, and there it is. That, that is so nice. I mean, that has to it's be a wonderful, a wonderful resource. tool. It's a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, i got a stack of books that's bigger than my desk. I'm going to sit there and read through them all and try and remember where I said what. The Internet's been a big help for a series this long. Because, you know, yeah. people come up to me all the time, and they've just started reading, or they've gone back and reread. So they're on Crystal Shard or Streams of Silver or something, and they start talking to me about the books. And they're talking about some, you know, minute detail with some minor character on some side street. And, you know, I wrote that book in 1988. I don't... Yeah. Hello. I My memory's not that good. Never was, even when I was young. So... It's hard, you, but you try to maintain as much consistency as you can. You try to, um, you know, you try to do the best you can. And, but what I'm really looking for is emotional consistency and emotional growth. Yeah, I, I think we see that quite a bit. I, I, it's one of the things I love at the beginning of the books, each section of the books where we have Dritz kind of relaying his thoughts. Those are, I mean, those are always really emotional, and there always seems to be something in those that I find in my life that connects to those. And it's just like, it's like this eye-opener. So yeah, they're just amazing. The, um, I think the ones, actually, I'm I'm really happy with the ones in Vengeance but in, and Arc, the Archmage. I, I'm really happy with the essays. Nice. I can see a turn in the books right now. I can see I can see a new phase that, that's been entered, and that's really mm. kind of inspired me, especially with those. Okay. Well, I'm going to throw out that there, Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf, yet again, because yes. we have to. No, just, uh, so uh, we've kind of seen some things kind of unstabilized, sort of, in Menzo Berenzan with what uh, you know the matron mother Quenthal's done with throwing in Darthir, uh, or mistress, or mother Darthir, Dorden, and um, with well, everything kind of going... She, she's actually stabilized it. By proving okay. to everyone that they can't do a damn thing. That she'll oh, okay. do whatever she wants, and they can't right. do a damn thing. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, she's kind of pushed a little far. And Yeah, so, I mean, I was just wondering, is there possibly, are we going to see maybe a fall of the, the Ben Rays? Or maybe your point is very valid, that she's kind of doing what, showing that, hey, you can't do anything to me. You know, my mother was boss, and so can I. Um, There's a lot going on. I 
<laughs> got to leave it at that because I All right. a couple of books right here. But, um, yeah, right, we'll, she's, she's we'll really, more. you look at the way she's put the clamps down on everybody yeah. in that city, and she's insulted them and slapped them in the face and put her sister on the council to make nine. She basically has a minimum of three votes on anything she wants to do out of the out of the nine, and she's got four other houses so wrapped up, afraid of each other, and she's the only one that can protect any of them. So she's really got seven, six or seven votes on anything she does, and she's in. She's got more power than any matron mother's had since Yvonne Ellie Eternal, since you know yeah. the series started. When she after the spell plague, when she threw House of Blodger into the claw rift, it's um. This one has a ton of power coagulated around her now, and there's also a ton of hatred. Um, a lot of houses really resent what she did by letting the Zolarans go and establish the satellite city because they're trading houses, and now there's Banray has its own trade route between uh, Q Zolaran, the city in Gondolgrim, and Bregan Durth, Axel's band. Uh, you know, they don't need House Hunsren anymore, and... It, it's so there's so many different houses that are mad at her, but they're helpless because they all hate each other. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's an interesting situation for her because she's it, at what point does she screw the screw down a little too tightly, and everything kind of bleeds out to the side. It's been fun. I love writing the drought. It's like writing the five families in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's. It's really I I love what you're doing because it's really fun to see that pressure keeps getting applied and applied and it's like okay when is the bubble going to burst? I mean you you got Gromp which just thinks she's she's always been an idiot and now he's like oh wait a minute I kind of gave her the memories of my dead mother and now she's becoming twisted and more maniacal than I expect and he's backing down but at the same time. He's still got his stuff going on, which I'm sure we'll see in the the Archmage. I'm also guessing. Also got that. a daughter, remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is right. I, it's been a while. A daughter that the Avatar of Loth said would lead the city one day. Remember? <laughs> I I do remember that now. Hmm. Dang it! Now I need the next book. <laughs> it's the, uh, the twist and turn. I'm writing. You know. The, yeah. The the plot thickens when you're writing about the Drow. It's like it's it's already marble. How much thicker can it get? Right? Because yeah. it's just. This, every time I'm writing something going on in the Dark Elf City, I have to look at what's going on behind what's going on. And then I have to look at what's really going on that makes it look like what's going on behind what's going on. And then I have to go, well, wait a minute, who's really behind this? Because there's so many layers and levels of treachery and deceit and backstabbing and ulterior motives. Um, that's what makes it fun for me. I mean, the, I love writing about the Dark Elves for just that reason. That's what their whole society is built on. I know. Yep. If it wasn't for the internet, I would say you'd probably have like large maps, you know, and yeah. l- little articles with you know twine moving from <laughs> thing maps, to thing. They change them every other week and don't tell me about it. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> True, and they all admit it because they're trying to figure out which maps all the time. Okay. I remember when I was doing the uh, when Firefox there was there was going to be a Forgotten Realms TV show about 15 years ago that fell apart like they always do. And uh, they wanted me to write the treatment, and uh, I did. And I used my maps, and I had it going from Damara into Vasa, and then this this kind of small town that I built in Vasa, near the Vasan Gate. And mm-hmm. well, not near, but 
actually southeast of the southwest of the Vassen Gate, and they turned into treatment. And people at uh, was it still TSR at that time or was it Wizards had just bought them. I think they freaked out because they're like, "You just put this town right in the middle of the Moon Sea," and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And they had changed the scale of the maps like ten to one, and I'm like, "Whoa, <laughs> you can cross the realms in a week. What did you do?" <laughs> And uh, they do this stuff all the time, and it just you just sit there and thump your head on your desk and say, "Oh, there's no infravision anymore. How does Narbondel work?" And yeah, you know, it's just it's it's this is the game. I mean, but you get this is the this is the price you play, pay for working in a shared world when there's yeah you know 50 people doing products at the same time, and the good outweighs the bad. I'm not really complaining here. I think it's kind of funny at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, I've had that same question. Come from? What's a tiefling, and why are they in every city by the millions? What the heck, you know? Yeah, I've kind of had that similar uh, question in my head uh, about Narbondale. It's like, wait a minute, Infravision's gone. How do they tell time now? Uh, Because it was pretty much the heat went up and down. So, hmm, is it just fairy fire now? Okay. I think it just throbs, and they count the. They count the throbbing rate or something. Gotcha. I mean, okay. You know, it's got some symbolic purpose there. Nice. Oh, by the way, Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. Guys. Yeah, right Sorry. on. Sorry. Yeah. Timer didn't go off. Yeah, you got it. You, that's your job. Okay. Okay, your job is to constantly say Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. Vengeance there we go. Of the Iron Dwarf. We'll talk. You, you, yeah, keep, keep it up. Music. We said it. Yes, background <laughs> music. That's what it is. So. Smoothly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, this is kind of one question I've had and wondering, why white dragons? Out of all the different type of dragons they could team up with, why the white ones? The, the, because why they were there. Drow- okay, they were there. Okay. They were there. Yeah. And I have, um, they were there and I have the frost giants already involved in the natural allies. Um, okay. You know, when you're dealing with dragons, don't forget there was at the same time that this was starting... Um, they were also planning out the, um, what the heck did they call it? The dragon, the dragon storyline in the Neverwinter game and in the D and D game. Yeah, the uh, uh, oh, I can't remember the Horde of the Dragon Queen, but it was a Rise of Tiamat or something like that. Or that was oh, the man. yeah, that was part of it. But anyway, it was. They were doing the dragon series, and, and the dragons were pretty much defined in the realm, so I had to find one that fit. And the ice, you know, the frost giants, that's where they were. And I didn't, I made up the kid, the, the younger dragon, but the uh, the old dragon, the old white death, is a realm's dragon um, who lives in that area. So it made sense. And besides, white dragons are pretty cool, especially when you freeze the lake and burst out of it and stuff like that. It's, uh, no, that, that was an awesome scene. You so, know, uh, and... So uh, it worked. So I like white dragons. Uh, tyranny of dragons. That's what that that line was. Yeah. Tyranny of dragons. Right. They had just started, you know that that was part of our summit. I mean, we're talking about what's coming, and so if you read the book, and I don't, I'm not doing the story of tyranny of dragons, but I allude to it several times. Why would the dragons be involved? What did the drow yeah. have to do to get the dragons interested in pursuing this war? What did they have to promise the dragons? And so I, I, I keep alluding to the other main storylines because we're trying to give a cohesive feel to the realm, so we're all trying to work yeah. together, and it's hard. 
especially when you have, you know, computer. The, there's one major computer game and another major computer game coming, and you've got a new d- edition of D&D, and you've got four people writing novels. It gets it gets crazy if you're not. So what you try to do is you try to have a meta story that's going on that everybody understands that you can relate to in whatever capacity fits with the story you want to tell. So they're not saying to me, you have to do X, Y, and Z of Tyranny of Dragons. They're saying, this is what's going on with Tyranny of Dragons, but my book's really not defining it. Somebody else is doing that. But I want to get some Easter eggs in there for people who are doing Tyranny of Dragons so the whole thing will make more sense to them. That's how you play in a shared world. Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. Hey, he's on He's on uh, that. So, okay. So are you finding it kind of more difficult to try to keep that underlying, you know, story art subvertly going in there while doing your story? Um, no, no, absolutely not. It enriches my story. No, (laughs) uh, I I know exactly what I need to accomplish and what I've got left to do, and I know where, how I'm getting there, and uh, at this point, well, I mean, it'll change when I'm writing it, but I know, I know exactly where I'm going right now, so that's cool. Nice. It's easy for me. When I did the Gauntlegrim book and I blew up Neverwinter, we mm-hmm. met with Cryptic. I met with TSI. See, I keep calling them TSI. Wizards and Cryptic. We sat in a big room. We sat around a table, and they told me what they were trying to do, and they they told me what they really wanted me to do. So I was able to come up with the primordial. Well, they told me about the primordial, actually. I was I would have just used a red dragon, but they said, no, we want to use a primordial, and I'm cool. Okay, so then I thought, well, geez, I can use that to fire the forges and Gondolgrim. So I started, I started playing my story in. If this is the reality of the world, and this is what they want to happen, I can I can kind of put my story around it. You got to think of it this way: if I was writing a book about World War II, I'm writing about the North Africa campaign, right? I have yeah. to know what actually is going on there. No matter, even if mm-hmm. I'm telling a story of a couple of people that get caught behind German lines or something, I have to know what's going on there with Rommel and all the rest of it. So it's the same thing. If the, if I know what's going on in the bigger picture, I can weave my story to make sense around that. Gondolgrim was probably the best example of that because I had to basically flatten Neverwinter. They didn't change the story of Gondolgrim, the character development of Gondolgrim, the outcome of Gondolgrim, Bruner's journey in Gondolgrim. It didn't change any of that. It just mm-hmm. let me blow up a city in the middle of it, which was kind of fun. <laughs> and done in an epically awesome way. So Yeah. Okay. All right. That, that's that's really cool. I've just wondered if that may, has made it more difficult, and it sounds like it should just add more flavor to the story. Uh, but the, the main story continues on. So nice. Well, I can honestly so, say uh, every time I go up to Wizards and we have a summit, when I get home, it's much easier to write for a long time. <laughs> good. Because you're in the so room I mean, with creative people. It's amazing. Yeah. And are those summits? Really, because uh, I know you guys did it for the uh, the sundering and that. So, are, is that going to be something that you guys are con- going to continue to do moving forward? Is having these uh, once or twice a year, or however often, to continue? Um, yeah, I, but they do them different ways. Sometimes it'll be one author or two authors, and other times it'll be all of us. And it depends what storyline they're working on and whose books are pertinent to it. And um, I just got back from Seattle. I was just up there. I was. I was yeah. the only. Aaron Evans came in as well one day, but it was I was really up there for a whole week, just getting kind of acclimated to a lot of the things that were going on that are pertinent to what I'm doing next year. Oh man, next year, the dangled carrot. All right, I'll just have to wait. 
so vengeance of I, the Iron Dragon. But Iron Dwarf. Or a drawer. Well, where the dragon come? Uh, we were just talking about dragons. Yeah. I'm sorry. That is a completely <laughs> different story. <laughs> the Iron Dragon. Nope. Iron Dwarf. So, uh, are, are, are we going to see some really cool story arcs develop with, you know, Wolfgar and uh, Spider or Regis? Because um, I mean, we know Regis is really coming into his own where he's, instead of he's the one always getting bailed out, he's kind of now bailing other characters out. Are we going to see more yeah, of well, that? Cool. Um, I wouldn't rule it out. Okay. I haven't written it yet, so I don't know. But I wouldn't okay. rule it out. I love writing them. I love the new, I love the new Spider. Oh yeah, I have to. I have to agree completely on that one. But he's got his Lots. own journey to take. Okay. So we'll, so we'll see how that goes. Or maybe a spin-off story of just Spider <laughs> going I off. I got in me, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I maybe some more. And Trary or Efron, will he? They be showing up? I don't know. You'll have to read. I can say without <laughs> doubt that Entrary and Jalaxel are. I mean, Jalaxel is about to take over the world, so Entrary uh, always. Be yeah. I I love ans- asking questions, and it's always you'll have to read. Yeah. <laughs> Which is it's it's the greatest answer in the world because that you got to read this book. Um, I get emails from people. Look, I haven't read any of the last ten books. You're going to tell me what happened? No, really? I really don't. Oh yeah, I get it all the time. You can't believe the emails you get when you're an author. It's incredible. The, the it's journey incredible. is no. I'm I mean, not really? going to tell you. It's, I'm not going to tell you what happens. I'm not. A, I'm not your cliff notes. If you don't yeah. want to read it, don't <laughs> read it. If you want to read it, read it. I'm not going to tell yeah. you what happens. <laughs> wow. The journey is reading the book. I, I know that is. Uh, that's the one thing I love about books: sitting down, cracking it open for the first time, and reading and and going through that journey uh, with those characters. And I, I, I guess I'm having a hard time imagining why someone would not want to because, go on that journey or invest. Because many, many people, I, I really believe that a lot of people who read the book don't read the book. They skim the book because they don't really, they're not really interested in the book. They're interested in being able to talk on the internet about the book. Oh, okay. Okay. I believe that wholeheartedly. I've seen it for years. I'm not talking about mine necessarily, but I'm talking about all books. I think that it, it, you want to be part of something. You want to be able to talk about something. You know, everybody's an expert, right? Everybody's an expert on yeah. global warming, and they wouldn't know what a how to read a science journal if you gave them 20 years of school. Everybody's an expert on politics. Everybody's an expert on everything, and nobody uses source material, or very few people do. Uh, I think the same is true of books. I mean, I hear the same complaints about my books that haven't been relevant for 20 years from people who think they know what they're talking about, but they don't. Yeah. I you know, I get letters from people who have read the books, or I see people on message boards or on well, Facebook, whatever, who read the book, Oh yeah, I love this. I love that. I love this. I love that. And do you think this will happen? Well, yeah, it did. It happened four times. Uh, you know, because <laughs> they're going so fast because they want to, you know, got to get on the internet and talk about it. That's the point of life today, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting that... dynamic that I've seen come up. 
And, I, and I, like I said, I'm not complaining, and I don't think it's particular to my books. I just think that people would rather read a headline than read a than read a novel. Hmm. It, it's a look at me thing uh, in a lot of ways. It's, yeah. Uh, and, and so they don't go and they don't read beyond the headlines, and they don't. If they're reading a Wikipedia page, they don't click on the, the links to the source. And, uh, you see that all the time, and I think it's true of novels too. Unfortunately, yeah, I mean we're too busy. We're too busy. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm. They just, want the I've story in an instant. It's so easy to get trapped in distraction. I yeah. mean, I, uh, I've been telling people, okay, that's it. I'm done. It's the last words of a friends game. I've got like 20 games going. It's like I get up and I spend <laughs> an hour just making my one play that day on each game, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't, because I got to watch an ad every time I play because I haven't paid for it because I'm cheap. But, the, um, you know, you can just get lost in that stuff. You can get lost oh, yeah. browsing Facebook all day. You can get lost. I have. I mean, I'm not I'm not making a judgment on other people. I'm the same way. Um, you got to be careful about that. And the, the idea of just actually sitting down with a novel and just reading through it and instead of just trying to find out what happens, trying to find out what the author is trying to give to you in that book. Because there's always more to a book than the story. You know, what, like you're talking, the things you're talking about in a book, a lot of people would never get because they're not paying attention to where the characters are going or the, the subtle shifts of a character. They, they want to know point A, point B, point C, point D, point E, point F. It ends at G. I can go talk about it. Yeah. Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. There you Bingo. go. I mean, who yeah, actually I, reads the quests in World of Warcraft? I want to know. I don't think anyone does. They're just like, oh, wait a minute, i got to go d- kill this. Okay, done. Click, click, click. Oh, wait, what do I have to do? Where is this? Then you go read it. Yeah. No, I mean, I... I think the ones who are really reading it aren't on the Internet. The ones really reading it are not on the Internet. Yeah. They're actually still reading the book. they're not on a lot. Well, I can't tell you the number of people just scanning through on Facebook that sound off on subjects. But then you open up and read the article, and it's like they're not even they're not even hitting the subject on the nose, and they've gone off on some tangent. And it's like the article says agrees with them, but they're saying that the article isn't, and or they're spouting off on something else. Uh, I think it goes along the line. They just they see the 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 title, and then they just voice. They don't read the details. So well, I think that goes along with that book. That teaches you how to regurgitate for tests. Yes. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, why are parents freaking out about Common Core? They're freaking out about Common Core because it's not going to be rote memorization anymore. They're trying to teach kids why they're doing something instead of what they're doing. You don't need to know what you're doing anymore in math. You don't need to know, you know, that the the rote learning in math because everybody's got a calculator within their, with at their fingertips at all times now. What yeah. you really need to know is why you're doing what you're doing. What's the logic and the reasoning behind it? People can't take that. They're freaking out. Um, it's hard because we just we're not being trained that way. We're being trained to digest enormous amounts of inf- information superficially, and mm-hmm. books are going to become a you know I, I I'm very afraid that books are going to become a casualty of that mindset because the mm. books teach you how to logically follow from point A to point B to point C. You know, yeah. A, B, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, that whole thing. Books teach you that. 
they teach that logical reasoning of you know of of, a, of how to get to a logical outcome. If they're decent books with a, that had a good editor, okay, that's the whole point. You get from point A to point B to point C, and it, it's a logical arc that makes sense for the reader enough to immerse them in the book while he or she is going through that journey. If you don't have that logical arc, you have the dreaded Deus Ex Machina or whatever, then you know, then the book has failed and it shouldn't have got through an editor. But if you do have that, that teaches a reader something. It teaches reasoning power. It teaches it teaches logical thinking. Um, you know, literature should be the mainstay of education. Hmm. And we, But we're moving away from that, and everything's got to be faster. And you really can't read a book on a smartphone very easily. No, no, and and I don't. I mean, I've got books on my my iPad. I just don't enjoy it as much. It's so much better holding the actual book, turning the pages. Um, it seems more satisfying, oh, at least to me. There's actually been studies that show that if you're, especially for kids, if they're reading books on a screen, they do not retain them or comprehend them nearly as well as if they've actually got a physical book in their hand. And I think that's part of the reason why the e-books seem to have flattened. They're a substantial yeah. part of the market, but they seem to have flattened. They don't, they're not eating up more of the market like they were. But you know what it is now is audio books. Oh, yeah, I, I love audio books. Huge. Yeah. Well, we're busy. Yeah. You have to multitask. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's... The number of times I'm working during the day and I have my Audible on my iPad, turn up the volume and just hit play, and I'm listening to the book while I'm, I'm working. So I, I, I actually find that more. Truck drivers. <laughs> yeah, I find that more enjoyable than listening to music. So um, yeah, and uh, and just kind of a side note, Victor does an amazing job. Um, Victor's awesome. We've won, he's won awards. <laughs> I say we, but he's won the awards. Um, they they call it the author narrator pairing. They give awards for that, and we've won. Mm-hmm. He's won. I just I don't get the trophy. I wonder if he does. Hmm, I have to ask. Him. <laughs> but yeah. it's um, it, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I think Will I think Will Wheaton's been doing some great work with my stuff too, and I think that so's Felicia Day. I mean, Will did the uh, novella that I did for the Kickstarter for Demon Wars. Um, that's nice. up on Audible now, and it, and it's amazing. And Felicia did one of the short stories that goes with it, and Will did the other short story. And Will did the dragon story in, um, if ever they happened upon my lair. In, um, oh, yeah, that was a great one. stories that had iced tea and Weird Al. And Felicia Day did, which one did she do? Bones and Stones. And they get yeah. it. They're geeks. Um, so I've been happy. I've been pretty lucky with the audio adaptations thus far. And Victor's been just amazing. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, and he, he's also a really great guy. I've never met him, we've, but we talk email all the time, and he's he's, he's got a book out. He wrote his, he wrote a book. I, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I really have to. Um, so, no, good guy, and he's brought a lot to the Dritt series from everything I can tell. Nice. So, I, I we're going to say Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf just to throw it out there. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. But kind of a side note, are we going to see maybe some... A, a new Corona novel or a Demon Wars novel? Because I know I'm, I'm, there's been some short I stories. I really want to write. I'm trying to plot out how I can find the time to write it right now. 
Um, yeah, with all the other stuff. Well, we did, we did a second Kickstarter for the Demon Wars game, but we didn't fund. Uh, Kickstarter is another thing that's changed very dramatically in a year and a half. Yeah. I don't think Kickstarter at all. Um, I'm not saying that because we didn't fund. It was it was a nightmare. All I got were, I got like 20 emails a day from people who wanted me to give them money to promote my Kickstarter because they could make it fund. And then, you know, Weird. I got 20 more a day from people that said, you back my Kickstarter and I'll back yours. And I had to explain to them that if I go back 1,000 Kickstarters and 1,000 people back mine for the same amount of money, none of us make any money. We're yeah. all doing products free. It doesn't work like that. So, you know, even Kickstarter has changed dramatically. Um, but since that didn't fund, I don't have to be worrying about doing that book right now. I'm still going to find a way to do it, but I'm really going to have to lower the cost of doing the book and to do to make it go on a Kickstarter, it looks like. And I don't want to do that because the first Demon Wars RPG book or our Reformation, I was really proud of that. I had... Todd Lockwood and Larry Elmore, and I had a Keith Perkinson in there, and I had, you know, I mean, the map was brilliant by Aubrey Hodges, and I had that beautiful Scott Duquette cover, and I printed it right down the street from my house so I could be quality control on it instead of, you know, going to China, which would have been cheaper, but then you can wait months and months and months for the product to come in, and it might not even be done right, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So I tried to do it right. You know, I hired professional layout people and all that. I tried to do it right because I wanted something I could be proud of. And I don't know if I can do that and do crowdfunding anymore, so I don't know if I'll be continuing with that. If I'm not continuing with that, there are still stories I need to tell in Demon Wars. So, yes, that's the long okay. answer to yes. I'm I'm very much plotting out a Demon Wars novel that I've wanted to write for a couple of years. It's been just sitting there burning in my in the back of my head, I told Gino about it. We sat down and outlined it together, and he said, you should do this. And I'm like, oh, that would be awesome. And we started working on it together a little bit, but it's um, it's burning me. i got to get it done. Nice. So how is it? Okay, cool. Right. Uh, how, how is it being uh, having your son at an age where you guys can kind of uh, you know, get in cahoots and plan and do stuff like this? I mean, that has to be kind of... A great feeling as uh, as a father, but also really fun to be able to do that with your boy. That's a blast. I mean, Gino and I have done three novels and two graphic novels together. Um, and he's worked on other products as an editor, other projects. We also did the RPG game. Brian, Gino, and I all did that. Brian actually designed the game. But Brian's working full now, full-time now, working on a very major computer game. And... Um, 3,000 miles from my house, so that kind of stinks, because he took my grandson, the rotten kid. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Gino's still out here, and 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 um, he's doing, he's got his own business, he's doing app games, programming, uh, app games with a, with a, one of the other engineers from 38 Studios, and they've got, they've got quite the business going with that, and uh, called Tricky Fast Games, as Mike's, it's, it's really cool, but they, they're, so he's busy with that, but he's here all the time, and and um, it's wonderful having him around. I mean, he's he's incredibly creative, and and um, he jolts this old man into action, you know? That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to keep up with him. It's like you see me playing softball. I shouldn't be playing softball anymore, but I ain't going to let these damn kids beat me. <laughs> yeah. So are you working on any other video game storylines, or...? 
Uh, I did some work on a video game that I can't talk about. But okay. um, other than that, right now, no. Right now, I'm just trying to, you know, I've been doing two Dritz books a year, and I got another Dritz book coming this year. So I've been, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get caught up on all that stuff. Uh, I'm really trying to, I'm really trying to build myself into a position where I have a lot more free time to, to pursue a lot of things I haven't been able to do. For example, Fitchburg State College, my alma mater, has started a game design program, and they have been asking me repeatedly to come teach a uh, world design course. Well, they said to come teach any course, but I would love to teach a, a, a world design course. And I would use Jacob Bronowski's The Ascent of Man to do it. I know exactly what I would want to do because I know how it works for me. And uh, I haven't had the time to do it. And, you know, I just had to resign from the Board of Trustees in my local library because I just don't have the time. There's just too many things going on. And I've had to say no to a a score of anthologies that sound really cool and that I would have loved to be a part of. I just don't have the the creative energy. So um, that's what I'm working on now is is getting ahead. I I got a little behind the eight ball there when we doubled the the Dritz books for a while um, after 38 Studios collapsed. Um, it was a bad time, and uh, now I'm just trying to get ahead again so I can start doing. I'm at the point where it's not what I need to do; it's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And there are some, some things I want to do creatively um, that I haven't been able to do because I've been too busy with what I've had to do, and that's changing. Nice. It's changing the so year, I, actually. Good. <laughs> so. With uh, the direction you're taking and with these other books, uh, is it is it making things more complicated? Because you now have two books you have to worry about instead of the one book a year, or is it just you've kind of found that rhythm and things are going well? No, I'm in the rhythm. I, I know exactly. Like I said, I know exactly what I'm what I'm going to be accomplishing here. I'm in okay. the rhythm. It's um, so that's not the issue. It, it's simply a matter Good. of time. Time. And, and I'm sure the snow is helping because now you don't have anywhere to go. You, you're stuck at home. And you have to write. Yeah, no, the snow's not helping at all because I'm I'm like so cabin fever right now. I could like go outside and choke a fox or something. You <laughs> have them all over the place. You look outside and you see like the hawks are everywhere. The falcons are everywhere. The my 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 neighbor had a bobcat sitting on his porch this morning and a coyote in his backyard at the same time. <laughs> It's, wow, um, it's unbelievable because not no one's. I, I mean, we put out the bird seed because we felt bad for the birds, and there's like all day long. There's like 80 birds, 40 in the front, 40 in the back, around two areas of my house, and you, we sit there and watch them, and they're they're crazy, and it's every kind of bird you can imagine up in the northeast. And the other day, Diane calls me over. She goes, mm, "Maybe we shouldn't do this anymore." I'm like, "Why?" I go over, I walk over. There's a falcon sitting on a tree. I'm like, "Whoa, that's not good." And then there's a hawk in the back, sitting on a yeah. tree. They're all watching the birds. Oh, that red cardinal looks pretty. You know that. It's, there's lunch. <laughs> God, this isn't helping. This is not yeah. a creative time. There's too much snow. Plus, I'm outside chipping ice off my roof all the time. Because uh, we get the ice dams building up, and the water comes in, and it's, no, this is not. This is not good. <laughs> not good at all. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I'm gonna kind of throw an off the wall question because I, I know we've we've talked a lot, and you've mentioned it several times that 
you've kind of been known as the guy that killed Chewbacca, you know, and with mm-hmm. Disney deciding to kill the, you know, throw out the extended universe, is that kind of taken that off your shoulders? Because, well, that doesn't exist anymore. Can I answer that honestly? Sure. Who the hell cares? All right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that answer. There's the answer. All right, Chewie's a Disney princess now. Go for it. You know, look, that's the one thing I regret as a writer. I regret doing that. I really do, because yeah. it hurt people. And you don't want to yeah. hurt people. Um, they talked me into it. I did it. Um, didn't know I had to do it. wasn't my idea, but I did it. I regret it. Um, you know, but, but the fact of the matter is, for about three years, every time one of those long fluorescent lights flickered. I thought there was some kid up on the rafters with a lightsaber ready to leap upon my head and kill me. <laughs> At this point, who the hell cares? I, I, I really Harrison like that. Ford's okay. Yeah, no, I definitely hope he's okay. You know what Harrison Ford? He had in a plane accident. Yeah, he, he crashed, crashed his plane. On a yeah. Course. yeah. Got so, a hole in one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds like... As far as what as far as what's going on with Disney, I don't care if they adhere to the expanded universe or don't count it or whatever. That They paid mm-hmm. for it. They can do what they want. I just hope they make movies I want to watch. Yeah. Because I really haven't seen very many movies lately that, well, I can't say that. I've actually watched a couple of really good movies lately. Um, Boyhood. Watch Boyhood. Oh, Boy, my God. All what right. a great movie. I haven't seen um, Birdman, but I was really sad that Boyhood didn't win the Academy Award because it was just that brilliant. All right, I'll have to check check that out. Is there another? What's another one? Besides that, Fury I thought was pretty well done. Okay. Uh, with Brad Pitt, the World War II tank movie. Yeah. I like you that one. Blow your mind. Try a predestination. Predestination. Ethan Hawke. That's actually on my list. I was going to watch it this weekend. Predestination. I haven't even seen a trailer for that. Oh, I saw oh, it. It broken, really so. slipped under the. It came on under the radar a bit. Man, blew my mind. Yeah. Yes, Ethan I'll have to check that out. I'll have to check mm. that out. I um I saw Unbroken and I really loved it. Um, I thought that was done very well. It's quite a story. Um, I didn't like American Sniper. I know I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail for saying that, but that's okay. Yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it either. And it, it, none of the political crap. I don't. That, that was all bull. That was all no. Eastwood was telling a guy's story. So forget all the political crap. I don't care what Michael Moore said about it or anything like that. I didn't like because I thought it was boring. Yeah. You know, I thought they, they kind of checked all the boxes. We have to show SEAL boot camp. Check. But to me, if you want to see a boot camp, go watch Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, or I, and I hate to say this, but Top Gun and an Officer and a Gentleman both did boot camp better than this movie did because they cared. That was what they were about. Uh, if you want to see PTSD, because that was kind of a side theme in this, go watch The Deer Hunter or Coming Home. I mean, The Deer Hunter might be the best war movie ever made. Or go watch Saving Private Ryan. I mean, they, they, so everything I saw in that movie had been done so much better in other war movies that I was very disappointed. Because I like Clint Eastwood a lot. Yeah. And Bradley Cooper was amazing, but eh, I was bored. And watching the Humvees going through Baghdad, I kept thinking if you widen the shot, you could see the edges of the set. And I kept thinking <laughs> of the Black Hawk Down. Yeah. You know, remember, remember the Humvee scenes in Black Hawk Down that you were, like, yeah. screaming because you were on the edge of your seat, that sweat yeah. pouring off your forehead? 
So, anyway. Anyway. Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf. There it Vengeance is. of the Iron Dwarf. Great movie. <laughs> yeah. Great. That would be an awesome movie. Be. Yeah, we'd like to see those. No. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see where this story goes with, you know, Dritz and the companions and the drow and everything. And um, I can bet you right now it's going no way you could bet. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, you know, the ideas in my head are not where it's going to go, I, and that's how it is. Every book, it's like, all right, I've got the next one. I, I read the last one. I'm pretty sure I know where this is going, and every time, uh, without a, without a doubt, the book goes somewhere completely different, and it's so much better than what I thought it was going to be, uh, which is always why I love you know, reading the stories. It's because. You know, there's a lot of books where I read it and it and it goes on that predictable route and it's like, okay, that was cool, but I like getting thrown for a loop. You know, like at the end of uh, uh, what was that, the magic movie with uh, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale? Oh, the Illusionist. No, No, not Illusionist. Uh, The Prestige. The Prestige, where at the very end, I I I didn't even see that ending coming. Yeah. You know, that's that's what I love with movies and books where. Where they you take me is not where I want. I was thinking I was going, and that that hooks me every time. So. Oh well, I'm writing a book. I read an outline. You got to write an outline, or they won't send you the check because they want to make okay. sure they want to know that that you're you've got an idea of what you're doing. You know. So mm-hmm. I write the outline. I start writing, and I've got the outline in there, and it's a little detailed. First couple chapters, so I'll follow it a little bit, and then I throw the outline away. And the book takes me where it's going to take me. So, like when I say I, I I know where I'm going, I know what I need to do. I'm talking about emotionally for the characters. As far as how I'm okay. going to get there, the books are going to take me there, or maybe they won't, but they usually do. That's usually what I know is is where is this character going? What what does this character need to do to satisfy this stage of his or her life? I I know I understand that when I make the phone call to Dritz to start the book, okay? But how they're going to get there, I think I have an idea, and I'm never right. The books surprise me all the time. So it makes it hmm. fun for me. I mean, I've, there are times I've had to keep writing to find out what happens. <laughs> That's awesome. That's I'm not even sign. kidding. I'm I, not I, even I, kidding. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sitting sure you, there, and it's like, you're being where honest. is this going? This isn't Because I, I treat it a little differently than a lot of people. And what I do is... You know, there are times when your characters say something that, that's out of character or mm-hmm. they, they're acting in a way that doesn't really make sense to you as the writer. And so, you know, the, one, the, the thing you can do is you can just hit backspace and delete everything, right, and then make it the way it's supposed to be. I don't mm-hmm. do that. I want to find out what's wrong with them. Why are they acting that way? Hmm. And it's, that's, it's that's kind of a weird way to approach it, but it makes it very real to me. Because people are out of character all the time. People have moods. People have issues. People have things on their mind that weigh them down or things on their mind that lighten their step. And I don't want to know all the answers when I start a book. So if I'm writing a Caddy Breeze being a jerk and I don't know why Caddy Breeze being a jerk, instead of making Caddy Breeze not being a jerk, I try to find out why she was being a jerk. These are the, these are the side stories I find when I'm writing the books. Nice. I, and I like the fact that you say, I write the outline, and then I just write the book. Okay. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, th- I've tried you know writing short stories, and that's always the thing that's really frustrating. It's like, uh, writing this outline, it's like, I, is this really how I want the book to go? So maybe I should just follow that format. Just write it so it's 
kind of a rough draft and just go. So, who knows where it will that's take like, me. That's okay. what I do. Nice. That's what I've done from the beginning. Hmm. Well, it has worked very well for you. I, I will admit that. So, we're almost out of time. We've got just a few minutes left. Uh, Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf is available now. It's in all formats, I'm assuming, already. Ebook, heart, you know, traditional book, and audio book as well. Audio read by Victor Bavine. Yep. All right. So uh, you can find that anywhere, and of course, you can find they can find you on Facebook, Twitter, and your website, rasalvatore.com. Rasalvatore.com and. For people oh. who want to get signed books, um, my wife's store is rasalvastore.com. Yes. Um, and we sold a ton of the new one, which is making her crazy because you know, got to get them all packaged and shipped. And <laughs> Yeah, I, I saw your, your post where you, uh, your hand was cramping or you didn't know if you were going to be able to write because you were well, signing we, so many yeah, books. Yeah, we did the e-signing and... Um, that's different. The e-signing is from the guys who do rasalvatore.com. I wasn't gotcha. going to take that away from away from Joe because he set that site up in 1996, I think it was, and I let him keep it all these years. And he does e-signings through the site, and he has his own mailing list, and he does his e-signings. And he'll come up to my house with 600 books or 800 books or 1,000 books or whatever he's got, and I, got, I have to sign all them. But now I have to do that. Then I have to go sign all my wife's books from the store as well. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> wow, and it's very uh, cool you, because you see, you see, like you know, we have the graphic novels there, and you, yeah. we'll sell the graphic novels. We'll sell Homeland. We'll sell the Demon Wars books. We'll sell the Spearwielder's Tales. You know, it, so it's very cool because uh, a lot of times you know that somebody is like just discovering another aspect of what I've been doing for all these years. So it's fun to watch. Yeah, I bet it is. It's probably rewarding in its own way as well. So uh, uh, it really with- is. I mean, the most rewarding thing is when somebody tells me that, you know, my dad got me reading these books, or I'm reading them to my kid. I mean, the the, the idea that after all these years, these books have become multi generational. I see it when I go to signings. You know, you'll see a grandfather with his son and his granddaughter, and they're all reading the new book together. That kind of stuff. I mean, <laughs> that is amazing to me. That this kind of stuff is going on and, and it, it's been around that long now. It's been a part of people's lives for 27 years. and That's, that's just blows my mind all the time. Yeah. So do you, on the store, do you still have, uh, the baseball stuff, the, the clan battle hammer hats and jerseys? I don't know if she's got any hats left. She's probably got a few jerseys left, but doing the, mer- those, they have the kind of merchandise is really hard to do if you're a small store because you have to buy in bulk and, what sizes okay. do you buy? I mean, hats are easier, obviously. We sold through a couple orders of the hats, but I think I'm going to change the hats this year and put the foaming mug on them with the team, and if I do that, then I'll put the new hats up in the store, too. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you again for uh, coming on the show and talking about Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf and uh, everything else we've talked about tonight. Con this year? Uh, that's the plan. So are, will you be I'm there as well? I'm hoping I'll be there. I'm hoping. I usually, I, I, I'm almost sure I'm going to be there this year. I better be there this year. Terry Brooks is the guest of honor, I believe. Yeah, I saw that. Honor, and I haven't seen Terry in, I talked to him all the time, but I haven't seen him in like a year and a half. So it's oh, good wow. to catch up. Well, he's busy yeah. now. They're doing the Shannara MTV series, and 
So he's, he's he just got back from New Zealand where they're shooting, and it's it's really exciting. Yeah, I, I, that would that? be. Yeah, I did hear about that. That would be really cool to see because sometimes TV fantasy series haven't really been done well yet, other than you know uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. So I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to see. John Favreau's doing this though. John Favreau's pretty oh. good. Yeah, he is. I just and watched Harry's his. Uh, been involved, and that you know, I think the reason Game of Thrones is as good as it is because George Martin is there. Yeah. You know, all kudos to everybody in it, the people working on it, every level, the costuming, the set design, the actors, the all kudos to everybody there. But the fact that George Martin is right there working on it, this is his baby, and it shows. I mean, it shows in the in the show. You, you can't do that if. If the people that are doing it don't understand what the author really wanted. And, and so having George there has been a boon to that show, and I'm sure that having Terry there is going to be a boon to Shannara. Shannara. I keep saying Shannara. If you hear me say that, he'd slap me. Shannara. Shannara. Uh, All right. <laughs> Shannara. Don't, don't listen to him. What does he know? He just wrote it. <laughs> he's, so, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to going to Gen Con because he's going to be there too, and I haven't seen him in a while. So. All right. Well, right. again, thanks for uh, being on the show this late. Uh, I know it's a late back home, and uh, hopefully the uh, snow will melt and go away so that you can get out of the house and uh, enjoy some warmer weather. I hope so. Melt in time for softball season to start, and I'm actually doubting that right now. Wow. That 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 would be sad. So, uh, again, thanks. Uh, crazy. And that, that, would make, uh, that would make anyone crazy, not being able to go out and participate in sports yeah. softball yeah. yeah okay well yeah we'll uh, see it. we'll stay in touch and uh, hopefully we'll see you at Gen Con and we'll talk some more okay okay right, have you. a great night care, guys. take care bye bye alright everyone that was author R.A. Salvatore talking about Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf that's right Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf can I say it more times Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf definitely try yes uh, it's out now. You can pick it up in traditional book. Awesome. Uh, audiobook or ebook. Uh, it's always a huge pleasure to have uh, Bob on the show. Uh, always fun. And like that, he, he always throws something in there that you just don't expect. Um, so, with that said, run out, grab this book. It will be worth the read. Uh, if you're a. Yeah, that speaker was really loud. If you're an old fan of the series you're going to love the book even if you're a new fan coming in you know pick up the book read it and then go buy the old books to kind of catch up on the story because even though it is connected to everything else it's still a good standalone read you can read it and then go pick up the history so um with that said who do we have on next week we have another amazing author on next week it won't be as crazy having two authors on and i gotta hurry and do this fast because we only have 60 seconds. So on next week's show, um, oh, wonderful. It looks like I deleted the information. So we'll just throw it out on, on, on social network. Uh, who's on next week? IPad, right? I hate it when I <laughs> click a button and it deletes things. So uh, we'll be on next week with another amazing author interview, talking geek news, doing a bunch of fun, crazy stuff. There's some amazing news that's coming down the pipeline that uh, maybe we can start talking about next week. Um, I just, I don't know yet, but we will let you know. Check out the Facebook page, check out Twitter, and as always, like us, 
follow us, and we will be back next week talking more geek news, more geek stuff, and having lots more fun. So with that said, good night, world. Good night, Salt Lake. And get more from your games. Good night. Good night. Good night.